It was the kind of August day that hinted at monsoons. And the year was 1774, though not for very much longer. I was in the crowded bazaar of a nearly historical version of Calcutta, where my father had abandoned me. He hadn't abandoned me for good, not yet. He'd only gone back to the ship to make ready for the next leg of the journey, 20th century New York City. It was at our final destination, however, where he hoped to unmake the mistakes of his past. Mistakes like me, perhaps. He never said as much, but his willingness to leave me behind was plain. Here I was, alone, haggling for a Caladrius with a pitiful amount of silver in my palm. Part of me wondered whether he'd care if I returned at all, as long as the mythological bird was delivered to the ship. No, he would care, at least for now. After all, I was the one to plot our way through the sentries and the maps, the one who helped him through his dark times. The one who could, say, identify fantastical animals from 20 paces and negotiate with their sellers. Then again, once we reached 1868 Honolulu, he would have no need for navigating or negotiation. I was a means to an end, and the end was looming closer every day. But he never worried about that. I tried not to either. I tried desperately hard. Worrying did me no good, especially now, with the bird seller peering at me, as bright-eyed as any of his wares. Very rare, this bird, the merchant spoke louder than the distance between us warranted. We were nose to nose across a stack of cages, but I couldn't step back or I'd be swept up in the scrum of shoppers. The Caladrius will cure any illness just by looking a patient in the eye. I know, I know. I'd read the myth in an old book of fables. The Caladrius could take disease on its wings and burn it away by flying near the sun. The legend also said if your illness was incurable, the bird would refuse to look at you. Of course, the merchant hadn't mentioned that part. He crossed his arms over his chest. Good health is priceless, girl. I know that too. I wiped my brow. The sun was panting in the sky, and the heat curdled the perfume of jasmine above the odor of sweat. I had to get back to the ship, if only for some air. Please, it's for my mother. She'll die without it. Normally, I wasn't above using a sob story to haggle, but it felt different when the story was true. In fact, she had already died without it, 16 years ago. My father would never, ever recover. The man's eyes softened, but then the crowd crushed against my back, making space around a fat British officer. Locals didn't dare jostle the company Raj. Distracted, the bird seller glared at the Englishman. Please, I said again, slightly louder, trying to add the gleam of charity to the tarnished rupees in my hand. He sucked his teeth, wavering. A bird like this is worth her weight in gold to a prince. But the princes of India don't have any more gold, I said. The British took it all, and they don't believe in the myth of the Caladrius. 
as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I knew it was the wrong thing to say. The man's face hardened. Awkward, awkward. I scrambled for a way to backpedal. Between us, his wares beat their wings against the bamboo bars, singing for freedom like Orpheus in Hades. A hand touched my shoulder and I spun, ready to take out my vexation on this bold stranger. But I bit back the words. Kashmir had appeared like an oasis. Hello, Amira. Let me guess, I said. The captain sent you here to rush me. Under his careless hair, there was not a drop of sweat on his brow. To help you. He gave me his most charming smile, then turned it on the bird seller as he poured gold into the man's palm. This should be more than enough, Kashmir said, reaching over to pluck up the bamboo cage. Then he slipped his arm into mine and steered me away from the wide-eyed merchant, 